Hello, friends, and welcome to National Deer Association's Coffee and Deer Podcast with your host, I'm Nick Pinizzato, here with the doctor, Mr. Mike Groman. We're going to be talking late season hunting strategies today. Uh, we're going to have our friend Mark Kenyon join us for part of that discussion. The doctor and I are going to kind of carry it from there. Uh, I love winter archery hunting. It's something I started to really focus on uh, probably about 15 years ago as I uh, look back through the calendar years. It's been a while, uh, but something that I really love to do. I know the doctor enjoys it as well. And speaking of the doctor, let's say hello to a man that's delivering coal to the stockings of all the deer on his property this Christmas, the doctor. Merry Christmas, my friend. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think that I'm not the one that's delivering coal. They're delivering it to me. seems like every <laughs> time I turn around, they're like, here, here's, a, here's something for you for being such a rotten guy. Yeah. You've, apparently, you've been a very bad boy this year, so uh, they're not treating you right. Well, at least New York's not. Pennsylvania did okay for me. I should have spent more time down there. Well, you, you came here basically one day, killed a deer and left. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> you know. Well, I need to come back and, and fill at least another tag. Yeah. Here's kind of a crazy story thinking uh, uh, thinking about that. At our Field to Fork event in Missouri this last weekend, one of our mentors and landowners there, Robert Krebs, is sitting in a stand and this buck literally kind of staggers out in the field and just falls over dead in front of him. Like, what are the odds of that, right? And so apparently they'd had pictures of this deer, this buck had been sick, uh, sort of skin and bones. And um, yeah, he's sitting there with his mentee and they're watching this deer come out. And uh, now Robert has shot the last uh, two of the last three years, some really nice bucks, like over 300 inches of antler. <laughs> Uh, between those bucks and I said Robert it's just that you're so good now that they see you and they just give up that's right that's what I was gonna say he's a legend now it's like oh he's hunting all right I'll just I'll I'll fall on the sword I'll go out and be the one <laughs> yeah yeah and so anyway um that's kind of a crazy story but uh yeah you're you're gonna be you're, you're into muzzleloader hunting now but you're gonna come back here to Pennsylvania do some archery but you're still sort of struggling to nail down any kind of a pattern at your place yeah, it's it's been a very strange year. You and I talked about, you know, some some theories and it is just a theory, um, but I'll throw it out there is that this is three years post COVID and when everybody was off of work and was working remotely, I had a lot more people hunting around here all throughout the season. So I don't know if they changed the herd dynamics and that's why I'm not seeing the age class that I'm looking for is those three and a halfs or better. But um, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, the point is you have to you have to adapt. You just can't fall into a rut. And I've been trying to adapt. And it seems like every time I turn around, they're one step ahead of me or I'm one step behind, however you want to look at it. But as we talked about, all it's doing is just making me grind out uh, the season in a positive way the best I can, knowing that I only have so much time left. But I'm going to be so much more hungry and so much more driven and focused for next year. Yeah, and if you look at our deer report, I mean, people shot a heck of a lot of deer in 2020. <laughs> you can see it right there. Uh, you can see the numbers right in front of you, plain as day. And so I, I think that probably does have uh, somewhat of an impact. And uh, since we've talked about that, I've thought about that a little bit more. Um, hey, Mike, we have an impromptu Ask NDA Anything question. Now, if you've been paying attention at all, folks, you may have noticed that we haven't done an Ask NDA Anything for a while. And it's because, frankly, the... <laughs> The questions started to just really trickle in. And so 
uh, we're going to follow the lead of our audience. And we decided to back off that for a while, but we did get one. And I, I think it's an interesting one. Uh, Jason from Tennessee, he wants to know if button bucks shed their buttons. And that is a great question. It might be something other people have thought of as well. And the answer to that, Jason, is yes, they do actually shed their buttons. They are little mini antlers. And so um, just like other bucks, at some point during the very late winter, early spring, they're going to drop those off. And I can't say I've ever found a button, and I'm not sure of anybody that found a button buck shed, but they're out there. Mike, have you ever seen a button buck shed? Unfortunately, I have. Um, a friend of mine shot a deer late season, and I was helping them drag. It seems like that's like my job. Maybe I'll just become an official dragger versus an official hunter. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was actually looking at the deer, and I picked its head up because it came up from behind it. And um, once we made sure it was it was expired, and I picked it up, I'm like, oh, it's a little button buck. And I grabbed it by the head, and I just kind of stroked my thumb across the hair because it had obviously distorted the button a little bit and that little button popped right off and um not into my hand it rolled off i picked up off the ground so i found that out a long time ago that yeah they're just like any other antler deer is they actually go through a shed now did you go ahead and make like an earring or something out of that button or uh <laughs> i gave it to them and i said here you go i said you can do whatever you'd like with it but i said <laughs> i said i'm not going to try and knock the other one off but i said uh this is a unique little trophy for you. And, well, I mean, you know what, I, you know how I am. There was, uh, I wasn't that polite. I actually really dug into him rather hard and really, uh, really gave him the business. And we had a lot of jokes about that for many years to come. Yep, as you should. Very cool. Hey, I mentioned the Missouri Field to Fork Hunt, and I just got back from that, was out there last weekend. And I always come back so energized and fired up. We had 15 new hunters that we were introducing to deer hunting for the first time. My mentee, uh, his name incidentally was also Nick, shot his first deer. And so that was exciting for him and I. Frankly, he's one of these stoic guys and I am too. I'm not a big overly emotional person, uh, but but this guy might actually even be worse than me. And so I was way more excited, I think, than Nick was. Of course, maybe he was just in shock, you know, having never shot a deer before, but uh, he got a deer. We ended up with 11 out of 15 mentees shooting deer. And so that was really cool, but I came back all fired up, but here was the thing. The timing of that thing is always the last few days of the firearm season here in Pennsylvania. And so my focus is like, which bucks that I'm watching, are they making it through? Are they still walking? And so when I left, they were all still walking as far as I knew. And so the whole, um, excuse me, the whole time I'm sitting there looking at these images on my phone every time I get a text message. And uh, as the evening came on the last night and into the next day, I got pictures of all these deer and have since gotten pictures of, remarkably, Mike, this this never happens, but every single buck I was following is still alive and, and a deer that I call Whitey Doe, uh, this piebald doe, she is still walking. Uh, I, I'm astonished. I I mean, I heard guns going off. There were deer getting shot, but somehow the ones that uh, I've been looking over are still out there. Yeah, well, just for everyone that's listening out there, your deer in that area, especially because you butt up against state land, and we know from the years before you bought that place, it was hunted very hard. So those deer are battle-hardened. There's, there's generations of family groups that have learned if you want to keep your skin on here's what you have to do here's where you have to go and it seems like all of your target bucks 
have those spots that just nobody knows about and has never bothered them because they all made it. Yeah, that's for sure. And I think also, I mean, we've done a lot of work on that property, a lot of habitat work that's helped, um, you know, not, not running around all over it during the gun season certainly I think helped. And so it's, it's sort of nice to see the fruits of your labor there. But uh, I had a buck this morning. I sent you a picture of that. I hadn't seen that deer since the first week of October. And now all of a sudden he's back standing under one of my tree stands for 15 minutes, just feeding. And so, you know, it's, it's just kind of a cool time of year. And it really leads us into this late season because I'll be out there still with a buck tag and a doe tag. And uh, you know, you've got tags to fill. And so seeing that gets me really excited heading into the winter season, but we're going to start the conversation by bringing in our friend, Mark Kenyon and getting his take on it. And so we, we sort of start this off with an interesting spin. Mark did kill his deer that he called the wide, wide nine in Michigan, but we asked him to forget that he killed that deer and assume he's still out there. And I think you'll find some of his winter tactics interesting. So let's go ahead and bring in Mark. As always, we're happy to have our friend Mark Kenyon back here on the Coffee and Deer podcast. Uh, Mark doesn't really need an introduction, but we'll give one anyway. He is uh, the man behind the Wired to Hunt podcast, Wired to Hunt content, and also uh, his work with Meat Eater, putting out some of the absolute best whitetail content in our space. Uh, as I told him, I don't think I've missed an episode of the Wired to Hunt podcast, except the ones that I'm on, ironically. So... <laughs> Uh, Mark, hey, we appreciate you coming on here to talk a little uh, winter deer hunting with us. Hey, it's my pleasure. I always appreciate the invites. Fun to get to chat with you guys and talk deer. Um, yeah. I've yet to get bored of it. I've been talking about deer for a long time, and I still get pretty jazzed up. Yeah, your enthusiasm does come through for sure. And uh, so I think that's one of, the, one of the many reasons people like your stuff so much is you're just so real about it. And people can relate to you. And so speaking of being real and related, you have never been afraid to just put it out there, right? I'm out there. I am yeah. after the wide nine. There have been <laughs> deer before the wide nine that we've all gotten to know and love. And so um, you recently hung your tag on the wide nine, mm -hmm. which is awesome. And so uh, you've already covered that story. We're not going to ask you to do it again. Um, but it was funny because you sent me the, the text message with a picture of the wide nine. And I said, well, I'm still after the tight 10 over here, right. which I'm still right. after the tight 10. <laughs> and so I'm going to ask you to forget when we ask these questions, I want you to forget that you actually tagged the wide nine and that he's still out there. Okay. All right. And so we're going to talk about what strategies you might use to get on that deer. And we're going to do it in terms of a primitive weapon, so either a bow or a flintlock or the types of things that are typically uh, still in season right now in different places in the country. I know okay. we're coming into a late archery season here uh, in Pennsylvania the day after Christmas. The doctor there is hunting with muzzleloader there in New York. And so let's uh, that's the backdrop. All right. And so, uh, And I'm still chasing the tight tents, so and maybe I'll learn something here. So let me ask you this. You get into this winter season, the rut's over, you still got that tag in your pocket. What is the first thing that you do to get ready for, in preparation for this late season? What's the first thing? 
you know, I think the first thing more and more every year I'm realizing is the importance of kind of resurveying the situation, scouting. You know, the 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 deck is reshuffled when you get into the late season. When you get post gun season, things are different. Habitat's different. Your herd is different. How deer are acting is different after all of that pressure. So if you are just kind of hunting as you have been for the last two months, the same way you were in October as you are in November, as you are now in December, you're usually going to be missing out on a lot of things. So I found that I'm usually at this point now almost scouting more than I'm hunting and doing it though with like white linen gloves. So I'm doing it in such a way that I'm trying to be really, really, really careful not to allow the local deer herd to catch on to how, to what I'm doing because they've been bugged and bothered and bumped around for weeks and weeks and weeks on end now. So they're even less tolerant than usual. So there's like a fine line of how do you do that? Right. Um, in places where I can glass, I've really started doubling down on that. And so that might just be glassing to the back of a crop field. Um, I've got a spot with a power line where I will get out there as often as I can and you know, just swing by for a 10 minute drive and just glass down the power line or if I can't hunt on a given night or something, I'll still try to get the the get out of jail free card. What am I trying to say? I'll try to convince my wife to let me go glass a little bit in the evening when I can't hunt. <laughs> and and that kind of stuff has ended up helping me so many times. So I'm I'm just realizing, and this is true all year round, but especially in the late season, you know, learning something, a few scouting trips, whether it be a, a drive on the with the truck or a quick buzz on the e-bike or glassing for an evening or you know just actually studying my cameras a little more thoroughly during that time period whatever it is that information now is super duper important not just because of the fact that things are different now but also because of the fact that you just don't get as many chances now to succeed without really messing it up so if I'm still trying to kill the wide nine now, I'm thinking, man, I've got a, a few good shots. Like I've got a few good hunts where I can like dive in deep and try to get a crack at him. And then he's probably going to catch on. And so I want to make sure that when I do that, it's a very informed shot that I'm taking where I'm going into a place for a really good reason at a really good time. Um, that's, the big thing I'm thinking about as I prepare for this next phase of the season is trying to make sure that I'm armed with the right information to make that strike at the right time in the right way. All right, Mark. So I like that answer, but let's take it in a similar direction, but one, in, in my, my opinion, one important factor conjoins that. And that is, your mental attitude, like you talked about the deck in the, in regards to the deer herd is reshuffled. Let's talk about how do you mentally get yourself ready for late season? Because the deck has been reshuffled. Um, you still, like we're still imaginarily saying that your target deer is still out there, but people might have lost their target deer. They might have ghosted them since gun season. So how do you get yourself excited to get out there? Because I feel like if I'm not focused this is the time of year when you can become lackadaisical you make a mistake how do you recalibrate your mind yeah that's a really really good point and it's all very true it's hard to stay mentally in it at this point 
you can be losing some of that excitement. You can be losing that edge. And so I've got two different approaches to this. If I'm still after a target buck, um, you know, I, I, I just try to double down and grit it out and remind myself of all these things that we're talking about here and the fact that it's still possible. It's, you know, still within the realm of possibility to get this done, but it's going to require you know, that mental fortitude. And, and I can look back and try to remind myself of the times when, man, if you're willing to stick with it and if you can stay smart and if you can do the right things and if you can stick with your plan and not get lazy, you, many times, not always, but oftentimes you can still be rewarded. Like I, I've been, I've seen time and time again that the late season can really still be pretty darn good, even in like heavily pressured places, even in like, I don't own anything. I don't have a big managed fancy farm, but if you play it right, you can still have late season success. So I, I will frequently try to remind myself of that and just gut it out and keep going. So that's, that's one. On the flip side, I've got a totally different approach that I have sometimes taken and there are times when I will get to this time of year and I'm wore down and I'm stressed out and maybe, you know, maybe I do have another buck to tag in my pocket, but maybe I, I did tag one earlier in the year, whatever it is. I found that some years I just need to say, you know what? I don't need two bucks this year. I don't need a third buck this year. Maybe I don't even need to kill a mature buck this year. I just need to have fun here at the end. And I'm going to shift my mindset to hunting does. And the years I've done that, I have not regretted it one bit. When I shift my mindset to, hey, it's doe season now, those end up being some of my very favorite weeks of the hunting season. I mean, so much fun. When you shift away from the high stress of trying to kill that one mature buck or whatever it is, and you go back to just like, I'd like to kill a deer tonight, those hunts are a blast. And that has been my favorite part about hunting around the holidays, hunting in the late season, is just shifting gears to that. Invite friends out to come hunt. Take the kids out to hunt. Um, make a big group outing, whatever it is. And and do a good thing for your deer herd and for your habitat and fill the freezer and, and reduce the stress a little bit. That's my plan for the next two, three weeks. And um, I'm really excited about that. So it's, I don't want to say I'm giving up in a situation like that, but sometimes, you know, saying, you know what? I'll let that buck, you know, stick around till next year hopefully it's time to just fill the freezer and get back to the simple basics of what makes us all so great in the first place sometimes that's the right call too i like it yep yep awesome hey so i know that you're primarily a mobile hunter you'd hunt a lot out of a saddle and so um and i liked what you said earlier about scouting more and hunting less but are you always mobile or do you have um do you switch up your sets a little bit in the winter i mean sort of describe your situation there yeah, it's situation dependent. Like I do have some properties that I've hunted for years on end, and I do have some permanent or semi-permanent type sets up. And, you know, in the late season, I'm definitely more apt to use those than at other times. Mm -hmm. um, it's just harder to, to get away with a mobile setup. It's harder to do anything in the late season, right? There's less cover. Um, so the deer can see you from further away. It seems like sound travels so much further in the late season when all the leaves are down. Yeah. So, you know, going in there, trying to sneak in to a spot and get set up is just more difficult to pull off. So, man, when I can get into that pre-hung stand or when the wind's right to go to my one box blind, um, love doing that for a late season hunt. 
and um, you know, it can it can work well for you. But you know, something Nick and I were talking about prior to recording this, um, I also enjoy, especially if you've got you know like a primitive muzzleloader season, or you know, in some areas like in Michigan, we can use even in like our late season muzzleloader season stuff, we can use a straight wall cartridge uh, rifle, shorter range rifle. Um, I've been doing something lately where I'll kind of go and do like a spot and stock late season hunt with a weapon like that. You can go in in the morning or in the evening and just kind of work your way along an edge, you know, go in there after daylight in the morning and glass the fields and slip in on a doe or something like that. Um, That's a really fun way to hunt this time of year and be without a blind, without a tree stand. Um, It's amazing. We, we work ourselves into believing that you have to be up high, that you have to be in this location to kill a deer. Even with a bow, I'm finding more and more you can have success on the ground, improvising. Um, I, all those things are possible, and they're a lot of fun. And I think when you get to the end of the year, the more you can make your hunts fun, the more effective you are too. And I think when you are three months into the hunting season, it can sometimes start feeling like a chore. And anytime the hunting feels like a chore for me, I try to remind my, I try to shake myself out of it. And I try to tell myself like, how do you make this fun then? Cause that's what hunting is supposed to be, right? We're filling the freezer, but we also do this because we love it because we enjoy it. And if you lose that, you got to kind of slap yourself, work your way out of it and get back to the joy of it. And like I mentioned, every time I've done that, it usually leads to good things. Well, let's get a little technical now. So one big thing for me is my transition to late season practice because things become a little bit different in late season in regards to the amount of clothes we wear. Our equipment you know, might have ne- has never been exposed to the cold recently from early bow, let's just say to December, January teens and um, sometimes single digits. So what's your late season technical advice for your equipment well two things um number one you know sound i mentioned this earlier but sound just becomes a bigger issue in the late season i feel like so i'm just making sure like if there's anything that somehow got overlooked earlier in the year that might cause extra sound now i'm making sure it's taped up right like climbing sticks tree stand steps platforms you know anything on your bow you know, like an arrow drawn back on a drop boy rest that doesn't have felt on it right now is going to be really loud. Um, So just cover off on anything like that. Um, And then secondly, practicing with your gear on. That's a big one when it comes to gear, especially archery, but even with firearm hunting, you know, just getting out there in in your full puffy suit, whatever you're going to be wearing out there (laughs) and making sure that stuff works the way it's supposed to making sure it's not throwing off your anchor points or anything. So again, that's easier said than done sometimes, but if you can get a little extra time in, in your full, you know, array, that's good. And then also when I actually go in the field, this is something I do year round, but it might be more important during the late season. Every time I get in the tree, every time I get into a blind, a setup, whatever it is, as soon as I'm settled in and unpacked and situated, the very first thing I do, is I visualize and think through every possible place I might be able to get a shot, and I practice that scenario. So I practice, like, okay, here's a shooting lane here. If a deer comes out there, can I get my bow or can I get my muzzler? Okay, what am I going to do? Can I move into position? 
when I draw back and I will literally draw back and make sure like, does it feel right? Is my arm bumping into something? Did my, you know, does my puffy jacket weirdly interact with my draw cycle or anything like that? I want to make sure I've practiced all of those things. And I just think that's extra important in the late season. You might notice there's a weird pop or a weird thing that happens or another thing. When you're moving to reposition for a shot in a tree stand in the late season, it seems like tree stand platforms or ladder stands, especially if you move a certain way or put your weight in a certain place, it's going to creak or make a sound. And if that had been dealt with you know, earlier in the year with some grease or something, I want to know where not to shift my weight to when a deer's there. So I'll practice doing all that stuff when I first situate myself so that when that doe or when that buck does come in, I already know like, all right, do not shift over to the left when a deer's nearby because it's making a popping sound. I want to know that three hours before the deer arrives, not three seconds before. You know, you saying about that popping noise, the one thing that I found at this time of year, once it gets cold is the soles of my boots are not nearly as, I'm going to use the term gummy or flexible. And mm. they wind up popping more on the the grate of the tree stand or my platform. And so I have to actually pick my feet up and carefully set them down when I'm shifting my yeah. weight. I just can't slide as smoothly. I have to become a little bit more robotic that way. That yeah. that's, that's cost me a couple times. Yeah, those little things just seem to be even more important now. Yeah. There's ever a time to have good quality gear when it matters is when these extreme weather conditions and hearing you talking about jackets. I'm just going to say I'm going to put a plug in for first light here because there are so many thin layers that I can put on. Uh, you just have to have good clothing out there to stay warm, but to stay flexible yeah. and not, you know, you can't get out grandpa's big old onesie and yes. expect to, to get the same performance that you're going to get out of quality gear. But uh, hey, I'm going to ask you one more, Mark, and we'll get you out of here. Sure. Uh, and I heard you talking to Jeff Sturgis about this on a recent show. So rut tactics during this time of the year, um, mm, yeah. totally out the window for you. Again, the, the wide nine still walking out there. I don't want to give you nightmares, by the way. He's, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's packed away, but he's out there <laughs> running around. Are you going to some of your rut tactics? Hello, friends. I want to take a brief break from the show to tell you about First Light and their camo for conservation program. Hunters were the original conservationists and First Light is proud to build on this legacy with their Camo for Conservation initiative. A portion of every sale of their Spectre Whitetail Camouflage will be passed on to the National Deer Association to help us support science-based deer management and advocate for healthy deer populations. And as the official apparel sponsor of the Field to Fork program, First Light is committed to protecting our hunting heritage by educating the next generation of hunter conservationists. In addition to the great work the company does giving back to conservation, I can personally attest to the quality of their products as I've been wearing First Light camo for several years. It is phenomenal. In addition to looking great, First Light has a layering system for any weather conditions you might encounter, helping you stay on stand longer and more comfortably. For more information, visit firstlight.com. You know, it's funny you mention that. Every, it seems like almost every year, I get more and more evidence of the rut lingering late into the year and seeing the more I look for it, the more, more I notice like, man, that second rut is not a myth. It's, it's a thing. And if you are ready for it and watching for it, you can jump on it. Now I I've never personally seen something like that in late December. 
I know, you know, late December, early January, you might get that third cycle. Maybe I've heard people talk about that. I've never personally seen that, but the December one, like the first week to two weeks of December, man, that is something that I am seeing strong evidence of. I just saw on camera like two days ago. So we're talking, you know, almost mid December and a couple days ago, I got photos of like six bucks all standing around, like doing that like satelliting around a dough yeah. situation. It's like one dough hovering and like all the bucks are staring at the one big buck standing next to the dough. I had another situation just a few days prior to that where a brand new buck showed up and he, he was with a doe standing in a brand or kind of a bizarre place, brand new, big, mature buck. And, um, yeah, I'm thinking, well, hey, this is probably that one little Delphon came into heat, brought something else in. So I'm keeping an eye out for that kind of thing. And when I notice it, I'm going to pounce on it. Um, it's not, I don't take it to the degree that Jeff does. And Jeff talked about, you know, like hunting mornings in typical rut stands a lot in December. And that's something I'm going to keep tabs on and think about, but I haven't mm -hmm. tried that myself. But when I have seen, a situation where there's a hot doe and you're seeing bucks doing the thing like chasing or you know when you see that situation where it seems like there's a buck locked down with a doe like if you see a bunch of little bucks kind of circling around a patch of cover or just standing around staring all at the same thing like you just know okay there's a buck with a doe in there when i see that i'm going to move in aggressively and hunt that little zone consistently for the next at least 24 to 48 hours um and if you can see where that buck goes with his doe a couple times now i've been able to move in and intercept them when they come back out the next time mm -hmm. um so so yes it's something that can work well and i've killed a few bucks in december taking advantage of that my biggest deer ever that's exactly how i killed him on december i don't know 9th or 10th or somewhere in that ballpark yep Absolutely. Yeah. Don't sleep on his rut tactics. I remember New Year's Day one time I got out of my tree because I thought nothing was moving. And next thing you know, I had five bucks come tailing a doe, including yeah. one really nice buck. And I'm there with my bow and my backpack. So Ugh. yeah, don't let that happen to you. But yeah. Uh, Hey, Mark, thanks for taking a few minutes of your time out here, folks. Uh, Wired to Hunt podcast, if you're not listening, if you're listening to us and you don't listen to that already, shame on you. Uh, <laughs> best whitetail content out there throughout the year. So go check it out. Uh, Instagram also, Wired to Hunt. And you know what? Just Google Mark. There's all kinds of really cool stuff out there. And go back and listen to his show about how he killed the wide nine. Uh, another great accomplishment. It's really hard uh, to target a particular deer and get the job done. And Mark has done that on more than one occasion. So Mark, thank you so much. We appreciate your input today. Yeah. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. It's always fun to have Mark on the show. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure what stood out to you, Mike, in the, in the discussion, but one of the things for me that stood out, I'm not going to say I haven't thought about this before, but it, it, it maybe just hearing Mark say it made me think about it even more. He, he had that section where he talked about how sound travels through the woods during the late season and how, because of that, he actually steps away a little bit from mobile hunting. He hunts a lot out of a saddle, just like you and I do, and goes more to situations where he can get into a stand quickly and as quietly as possible. Um, so the sound uh, re reverberating through the woods, I thought that was something that's interesting and was certainly true. Uh, how about you? What stood out to you? What stood out for me was, 
his and I appreciate him saying this because too often with social media and everything else that we're pretty much involved in, it's all about like the size, you know, the bragging rights, etc. But to hear him say that he sometimes backs off and just wants to go out and have fun and shoot doe and hunt with friends and just have that camaraderie. It was very similar to another friend of mine, Ryan Glitzky, you call him Moose, but he just was feeling the pressure of, and I'm not speaking for him, but just kind of summarizing what he said is that he was feeling the pressure of being involved in the hunting industry on the fringes and that pressure that that puts on hunters. So sometimes, you know, we put pressure on ourselves, media puts pressure on us, whether it be actual or um, imagined, I guess I'd say, but to go out and just have fun is something that I think we actually glaze over, gloss over a little bit too often, and it needs to be talked about more. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's, uh, there should be no pressure ever, right? I mean, it's, we all, we all want to have success. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, if you, if you're taking it seriously, there's just already that general pressure of trying hard and maybe not succeeding the way you want to, but there is no need to bring in additional stress. I thought you asked him a great question too, about just perseverance and uh, part of what you just said tied into that, but I liked his answer about that too, that, uh, uh he just, he focuses on the fun of it a little bit more than, than he might earlier in the season. Well, for me, it's, again, I was asking him questions because I like to hear what other hunters or hear what they have to say, but how they approach certain things. And for me, it's, I, I really pride myself on my mental game and it's because I don't have a lot of opportunities. So here's someone who is like me that only has a handful of days to hunt the entire season versus Mark who has more days uh, to hunt, not saying that he hunts every day, but I mean, he has more days. I like to see how somebody approaches it that has pretty much been drinking from the fire hose all season long where they're just, they're inundated with it versus me where when I do get to go, I get excited and I go through all of my scent control. I make sure everything is just as perfectly as it can be because I only have so many days. And as you get into the late season, the one thing that I try and do to play a little mind game with myself is I tell myself, you only have blank more days to hunt or you only have blank more sits and then it's over. And it kind of puts it in perspective for me that if I don't put my game face on and I don't come through, then I have to wait until next season to try it all over again. So I kind of play these games with myself to kind of harden my mind off and make sure that I'm in it every single time that I go. So I like to hear other people's perspectives. Yeah. If you're going to do it, I mean, you're going to do it the right way. I mean, it's, if there's ever a time you're not taking shortcuts, it's the winter season and you started to delve into tactics there a little bit. And we're going to do that, but just some considerations. And these were some things I jotted down that, that make it different. So your con main considerations in the winter season, number one, pressured deer. Okay. Even if you've got a gap between your last firearm season and your next season, which we do here in Pennsylvania, it's about a three-week gap, those deer are still pressured, and they act like pressured deer. Patterns have changed. Cover for hiding as a hunter has definitely lessened. You don't got that vegetation to cover you up. And also, you're probably tired. <laughs> okay? uh, even with a break, you're probably tired. So those are just sort of some key considerations that you're dealing with going in. I did, there were some others I thought of, but I, I didn't call them out, but you have less deer to hunt 
conceivably as well, because a lot of deer have been shot and, and maybe the buck that you were originally after isn't available anymore, but those are just a few of the key things. And so, Mike, I'll start it off with strategies. And I think the first thing is something that Mark said that we'll reiterate. Uh, you got to regroup. You need you need to really start scouting like it's a completely new season because it, it really is. The winter season is not really anything like the early season and not really anything like a firearm season where deer are basically basically moving based on pressure. Right. And there's also... Um a difference in regards to availability of food like there's less deer but the the food sources have really shifted from early season to now as well yeah absolutely and so it is a new season okay uh, i said when we were talking to mark that i have seen at times my resident deer that that i know are, are there throughout the year kind of go back to their original pattern uh, you may have recruited some deer from other areas that have their own kind of uh, way of getting around. But the point is, it's time to regroup. It's time to start, start scouting again. And also accept that maybe the places you were hunting all the way up to this point may not be the same places you're going to hunt in the winter. So, um, you know, that that's my number one is it's time to regroup. How about you? Um, my number one is I need to uh, kind of going along with Mark's um the question I ask him is, I need to reevaluate my equipment from top to bottom. That's the first thing. It's almost like preseason prep for me, because like Mark said, the the temperature extremes, the potential for sound, really can impact your equipment differently. And I start shooting again in heavier clothes, but you know me, I don't hunt in heavy clothes. I will suffer and be uncomfortable, but I will tell somebody else that I want you to stay warm, but I know what I need to have to work. And I'm always more comfortable in the woods being stealthy and less clothes and less bulky clothes. So I just muscle through being uncomfortable. But for me, it's equipment from top to bottom, making sure it is as perfect and flawless and fully functional as it can be. So for those of you that didn't know, the doctor is indeed hunting in a loincloth out there in the winter season. <laughs> so, well, with moccasins too. And a face mask. That's about it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think it related to that too is, you know, to keep shooting. I'm going to be out yeah. shooting this, this afternoon. The next few days look nice because in that, in that occasion where you do get a winter opportunity, my goodness, the last thing you want to do <laughs> is below it. And I did this a couple years ago. I've talked about this on the podcast. I'm out in Delaware. It's a cold, crisp morning. Hadn't seen any deer yet. I'm looking at my video camera doing a little, uh, little video explaining how the morning's going. I look over my shoulder and here comes this big, beautiful, wide, mature buck. And uh, I shot right underneath him. And I don't know if it was lack of practice or lack of focus or whatever. Um, I am still kicking myself to this day for that and i don't want that to happen again so yeah you got to make sure your gear is good shoot in that gear make sure your equipment is in order and uh yeah lessen the chances that you're gonna that you're gonna mess up uh, i'm gonna go back to uh, my next one then will be to be extremely thoughtful about when you hunt mark talked about this a little bit and i was nodding my head i think number one this is not the time of year where you're going out and you're thinking, well, the wind is okay for this spot. It's not exactly how I'd like it, but it's okay. I can maybe get away with it. All right. 
I'm going to tell you, you're not getting away with it. Okay. Uh, you have to understand what the wind is and hunt the right wind. Don't try to compromise on that. Even if it means that you're not going that day, I mean, it's the last day of the season, whatever that's, that's different. You throw it out the window, but uh, scent, uh, being aware of where your scent is traveling is critical. And also as much as you want to be out there and you feel the need to, to get those tags filled, do your best to not further pressure your own deer again that may have calmed down to a certain extent. And now you're just out there every day because you, because you're again, that pressure, you're putting pressure on yourself, needing to fill a tag. And now you've just repressured your deer again and all your pictures and sightings are going to move to the dark. So be extremely thoughtful about when you hunt, don't overdo it. Quality over quantity would be my next strategy. Well, and just to tack onto that, I think Mark did talk about that in in regards to how he will like to go out and glass. So you can, you know, be a little bit more strategic in your scouting. And the one thing that you were saying that just drives me up a wall is that if you have snow, there's nothing worse than you do everything right to get to your stand, get in and out your entrance and exit. And you have, you know, six to nine inches of snow on the ground. And if you come back in when everything's right the next time to hunt, there's deer tracks right in your own steps going right up to your tree. I mean, they, they're curious creatures. And when they see these tracks go through the woods, they're going to follow them to see where they're at. So, you know, I think going back to your point, be strategic. Don't sit there and overhunt a spot because it just might be that one time that you got in there and surprised them. And after that, they might have some inkling that you might be there. So it's just that's one hard thing about the snow and the only reason i'm saying snow is because we don't know if they do that during or at least i personally don't know if they do that in the early season because there's no evidence but people say that that does happen as well so something you have to think about yep they certainly know when there's an intruder in the woods or one that has been there that's for sure next up for you next up for me is going to be timing of your hunt when do you want to go in uh it all depends and what i want to say is i know that late season tends to be more of an evening game but what i'm telling you per from my personal experience is if you have a spot where you know for a fact deer are delayed coming back to where they're going to bed or if you're hunting the edge of a thicket and they get up and browse during the day and move around quite a bit in that capacity don't be afraid to hunt the morning if you know for a fact you can have a chance. So um, I'm saying don't go through late season with blinders on, be adaptive. Mark talked about that second rut. You have to react to what your deer are doing. And if your cameras are lighting up in the morning, but you're not getting anything in the evening, then by gosh, go out there and hunt mornings. Yeah, I mean, be aware of what you're seeing. I mean, what, what are you looking at right now? Most recent information. Uh, and I have a great example of that. And, and since you still, that was my next one anyway. And since you took it, I'm going to go, I'm going to add a little to it. No, it's fine. Um, so I was, this was Ohio back in, uh, 2015. Winter season still had my buck tag. I was pretty much just hunting evenings because, you know, that's what everyone tells you. I hunt evenings in the, in the late season. And I, and I was getting some pictures and seeing deer. So it wasn't like I wasn't seeing any deer. But I also kept getting pictures of the, this buck that I was after in the mornings. And so finally I said, I'm, I'm looking at the calendar. I had to be leaving for the SHOT Show. Uh, this is middle of January, by the way. So this is season is really winding down, running out of time. And I thought, well, I have 
one last, well, two days left before I have to leave for the SHOT Show. And that's going to pretty much be the end of my season. And so the first of those two days was a nasty weather day, like blowing snow, single digits. But then the next day after that was going to be a real significant warm up uh, and be in the be in the mid 30s, which was was significant. And so I thought I'm going to take that day that's going to be nasty and I'm going to go out and set two stands based on what I'm seeing here. And they're going to be for if the wind is blowing this way when I hunt, I'll set in this one or if it's blowing the other way, I'll set in this one. And I got to tell you, it took everything I could to drag my butt up there, up to the top of this hill and set two stands, but I did it. This was before I was saddle hunting, or I probably would have had a little different approach. So I went up in the nasty weather. I set these two stands. Next morning, I get out there. I see what the wind is. I make my choice. And later on that morning, mid-morning, I end up killing uh, this buck that I had been after, really uh, one of the best eight points I ever shot, actually the best um, eight point excuse me, that I've ever shot. And uh, yeah, January 15th, I never would have killed that deer had I not put in that last minute effort, had not been selective about when I hunt. And also had I not paid attention to most recent information. And there was there was a good amount of snow on the ground when I shot that deer. So uh, one of my proudest moments, I think, is an archery hunter. And that was definitely in the winter season. And, and that's a great story. And I think a lot of people can learn something from that. All right, one for me. Um, let me see. Let me see. That's two. Uh, I think we've covered quite a bit. I guess the only other thing that I would say is I'm going to term it, and it's not like I'm like it's a term that's used, but I'm going to say when you are going to set up in the evening, I'm talking about specifically, you might need to be more mobile. You might need to yo-yo, and what I mean by that is certain weather conditions will get deer up and on their feet earlier some days versus later and at least here in like pennsylvania new york and part of most of the east is until like our great lakes freeze over and things like that we have these waves of warmer weather colder weather etc and those tend to move deer at different times of the day uh toward their evening feed and so what i will say is to keep yourself in the game you might need to yo-yo your stand location closer to or uh, their bedding or back off and be closer to feeding. And so, or some people hunt on feed. I never hunt on feed, but if you would need to do that and you have a stand, by all means, knock yourself out. So, but what I do is I have to yo-yo based on what I expect deer to do based on wind, weather, barometric pressure, temperature, et cetera. And so if I you know, I don't think they're going to move early if it's a little bit warmer, if it, the wind is really still. Um, and, you know, we've we've had multiple days of warmer weather. I might push a little closer to that bedding area to make sure I can see them when they're shooting light. But if it's like bitter cold and like the wind's howling and they need to go and recharge their batteries, they might get up and move to feed early, either at some type of uh, staging feed. You can always set up on that or closer to where their destination feed is. So, um, that's something that has worked for me in the past pretty consistently, actually. Yep. Goes back to that. Be flexible, follow what you see advice. Uh, I have one more Mark or Mark. I have one more Mike that Mark also brought up and that is don't put away your grunt calls and your rattling antlers or even your decoys just yet. And so I had mentioned at the outset that it's probably been about 15 years ago when I first started to get serious about winter hunting. And part of the reason was uh, I was out there hunting the late season with my archery tag. This was in Pennsylvania. 
And it was starting to get to be that last 15, 20 minutes of daylight. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, you know what I haven't done? Because I hadn't seen a deer. I'm just going to hit this grunt call and see what happens. And I started hitting that grunt call. And I wasn't shy about it. Uh, I let the deer hear it. And I could hear a deer coming my way. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Uh, you know, Maybe it's a young buck or something. And lo and behold, it was this big, mature buck. Completely shocked me. He came in on a string on that grunt call. Uh, I was so shocked, actually, that I blew the opportunity. That's a whole other story, story altogether. But um, anyway, I have I learned from that uh, that the calls are really good in the winter, and I'm not shy about using them. The deer do uh, respond to them maybe even better than they do earlier in the year. So definitely grunt calls, rattling antlers if you like to do that. And I haven't really used a decoy in the winter, but I don't see any reason why it couldn't be effective. So, Mike, you got one more. I do. And this one just came to me because again, I'm thinking about going out tonight. Uh, but for bow hunters specifically is I have a tendency to be much more selective with my shot and my aim point more specifically. The deer are a little bit more, I shouldn't say they're more highly strung up, but uh, they're, they're a little bit more on edge. And when I aim and pick my spot in late season, I tend to aim lower than I would any other time of the year with a bow um, by by just a few inches, nothing significant. But I mean, I, I make sure that I am definitely in that lower third or lower based on the distance. And everyone has to determine that on their own based on their bow, speed, etc., how far away the deer is. But what I will say is that they have a tendency to, to have a lot better ability, as Mark said, with that sound maybe carrying as well to get out of the way or dip and you actually might uh, unfortunately wound one or miss one altogether. So uh, just think about that too. And uh, you just kind of go through those like mental repetitions. Like Mark said, like, well, if a deer comes in here, here's the distance, here's how I'm going to do it. Uh, sometimes I even draw my bow and aim at something right there just mm -hmm. to kind of get that muscle memory included as well. But think about potentially a lower aim point by just a little bit based on how close or how far the deer is so that you are making a good shot. Yep. Excellent advice. And speaking of noise in the woods, this is, this is a good one. So when you're, when you're out there with a mentee, someone that's never deer hunted before, you have to kind of be expect anything, right? So you're, you're paying attention to every little thing and don't assume that they know uh, how to do certain things that you've just learned over decades of hunting. And so we had these deer that were right behind the blind. This is before he shot his and he can't see them, but I can. And he's got his uh, rifle rested out the window of the blind. And I just told him, I said, be ready. I said, because they're right behind us and they're about to step out to your right. I said, so just get ready. I said, go ahead and click your safety off. Keep your gun out the window and, and be ready because they're coming. And when he clicked that safety off, you could have heard it two counties away. <laughs> it was the old, you know, slam the safety forward thing that. That we've all learned over the years that we can't do but it, luckily uh, it didn't seem to phase the deer and shortly thereafter he filled his tag but it was just one of those things from like you know i, I should have known to explain just slowly ease that safety off and so right. i learned learned something as a mentor there as well so yeah noise is a thing and if a deer hears anything out of the ordinary in that winter season you can pretty much just forget it at that point so yeah, just some things that the doctor and I've learned over the years that have helped us be successful on occasion. Every once in a while, we stumble into some luck. 
Uh, and we got Mark's input on it as well, which was cool. And we hope that this was helpful for you. So, hey, just a few announcements before we get you out of here. The first one is uh, this is the last Coffee and Deer episode until January 10th. And so the reason that is, is that over Christmas week, Coffee and Deer and our sister podcast, Deer Season 365, take a week off. So Brian Grossman and his show will kick in that first Wednesday in January, and you'll get the doctor and I back on January 10th. So we're going to be skipping that week. Uh, NDA content. We've been doing all this discussion about late season hunting. Uh, we are... Um, we, we've just put out today, and we're recording on a Thursday, our newsletter, Plan Next Deer Season Before This One Is Gone by Mark Turner. We didn't talk about that a whole bunch, but I'd point you to that. You are learning, if nothing else, in these winter seasons, information that will help you in the following season. And that's a great article about that from our friend Mark Turner. Uh, how deer respond to various levels of hunting pressure. That was the last deer season 360. All right. That was the last Deer Season 365 podcast with guest Andy Little. So check that one out. That will certainly help you in this winter season. Uh, so a lot of great content still out there for you to see. Hey, I want to mention, by the way, we just found out this morning that there was a scientific study done on how uh, non-government organizations like ours use social media to get the word out. And for non-government environmental slash conservation groups like ours, Mike, we found out scientifically that we are in the top 12 conservation groups in the country that they describe as punching over their weight. So that basically means that all of our content that we put out there and how it's viewed and our followers far exceeds what we should be able to accomplish based on our size. And so I was really proud of that. I mean, there are to, to be in that group and to be up into the front of that group was pretty impressive. So shout out to our entire team that has uh, their hands in doing that and particularly our concert or our communications team. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's great news. I didn't know that. So congratulations to everybody that's, you know, stepping into the ring and being a bantamweight and fighting, fighting the heavyweight fight. Yes, absolutely. It's funny that came out the day after our board meeting. So it would have been nice to have that for the board meeting, but uh, that's just sort of the nature of the beast. Uh, hey, a couple quick reminders, folks, as we are, you're listening to this, you still got a little holiday shopping time left. Our gear for gear sweepstakes, uh, excuse me, gear for deer sweepstakes is still out there. You can buy tickets for that all the way up through the 31st. And also, uh, hey, we have merchandise. Get yourself somebody some NDA gear, signs, hats, shirts, books, all kinds of cool stuff. So be sure to check that out. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, everybody. We really appreciate your listenership. We hope you had a great year and we hope you start off 2024 on the right foot. National Deer Association, where we are united for deer. <laughs>